0: Some things last longer than others. That's stating the obvious, right? A married couple uh, realized this at their 10th wedding anniversary. Uh, At 10 years into their marriage, they realized that their marriage already lasted longer than almost everything associated with their marriage. The bridal shop from which she brought her dress went out of business. The bakery went bankrupt. Both the florist and the wedding coordinator had since passed. And the minister who married them, no longer in the ministry. Promises don't seem to last very long either. I mean, in our world today, uh, even contracts, uh, which are just formalized promises, can be broken if you have enough money to hire a lawyer. And what about guarantees? I know a guy who had his house re-roofed, and it came with a 10-year guarantee. Two years after he had it re-roofed, they noticed a leak in the ceiling. When they went to to contact the um, roofer, they discovered that he had retired, shut down the business, and moved to Florida. The guarantee was worthless. So does that mean that promises are of no use in our world today? That they're just promises are dead, passé in our untrustworthy, devious world? Oh, no. Society, to function harmoniously, depends on promises. By their very nature, promises obligate us to some action in the future, And people depend upon that. But when we make those promises, we don't really know what it will cost us in the future. When keeping the promise will become inconvenient, thus, as a society, we... Put escape clauses in contracts. We look for loopholes in agreements. We insert weasel words into warranties or hold out for renegotiation. Getting stuck in an old promise, we think, are only for those who don't, aren't nimble enough in sidestepping. Thus... Manufacturers don't honor their product warranties. Politicians renege on campaign promises. Corporations shock their pension responsibilities. And ordinary people make exceptions to their promises. It just seems like promises are not valued or taken seriously anymore. Our Old Testament lesson for today is Genesis chapter 17. And in this section of chapter 17, God makes a promise to Abram. Now this isn't the first time God makes a promise to Abram. You could really see chapter 17 as further information on the promise that God made to Abram in Genesis chapter 12. In Genesis chapter 12, when Abram was then already 75 years old, God promised him three things that he would uh, get land, that uh, he would have offspring that would become a great nation, and that through one of those offsprings, the whole world would be blessed. So here Abram is at 75 years old. That means that Sarah is 65. And God says that he would be the father of a great nation. That's assuming that he had offspring. But he and Sarah had none. Chapter 15 of Genesis. A few chapters later, several years later in Abram and Sarai's life. And Abram assumes in that chapter that one of his slaves, as was the custom of the time, would be his heir. And God comes to Abram and says, No, a son of your own body will be your heir. But still, no children. The next chapter, chapter Genesis 16, again, years later, Abram, or Sarah, suggests to Abram that he have an heir through Sarah's maid Hagar. Ishmael is born. Abram assumes that Ishmael will be his heir. But again, God says, "No. That's not what's going to happen. And so this is kind of the backstory to chapter 17. Because in chapter 17, as it says, now Abram is 99 years old, Sarah is 89 years old, and Ishmael is 13 years old. Now, we're not told in Scripture why Ishmael was not the seed from which the descendants of uh, Abram would come from, but we can probably make some really good assumptions based on the context of this story. You can probably assume that God wanted to show Abram and Sarah his power, even in what seemingly seems hopeless situations, you can assume that God wants all descendants of Abram, both by bloodline and by faith, to realize that they are miracle children. Miracles of God's power and grace in their lives. And you can safely assume that God wanted to show that He is a God of promises made and promises kept. And so... In chapter 17, God comes to Abram and Sarah and says to them, You will have a child by the time that I come back. As a sign of that promise, I'm changing your names. You will no longer be Abram, but you will be Abraham. And you will no longer be Sarai, but you will be Sarah. But here's something you may not have caught. Did you notice that in verse 1 of our text, that God takes on a new name as well? Yeah, you might not catch it because it's not so obvious in English translations. Up to this point, God has been known either as Yahweh, which, mean, which is usually Lord in four capital letters in our English translation, or he is known as Elohim translated God. But here, in chapter 17, God takes on a new name, a name that he hasn't been called before. The English always translates it as God Almighty, but in Hebrew, it's El Shaddai. In Genesis 1, God is introduced as Elohim, He's there in the very first verse of the Bible, Barashit Bra Elohim. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. 2,500 times Elohim is found in the Old Testament, but El Shaddai occurs very rarely. And when it does, it's in moments of significance, in seeming hopeless situations like here with Abram and Sarai. The L of El Shaddai is just short for Elohim God, but the meaning of El of Shaddai is sort of uncertain. Biblical scholars always translate it as almighty, but that's just making assumptions. Shadu is the Hebrew, is an old Hebrew word for mountains. The most common name for mountain in Hebrew is Har, like in Har Megiddo or Harmon, the great mountain to the north. El Shaddai probably means God of the mountains. But if you can make mountains, you're pretty powerful, almighty, Right? But whatever the precise meaning is of El Shaddai, God comes to them and says to them that he is a God of promises. El Shaddai is first used in the context of keeping promises. and You and I know that sometimes it takes the strength of a mountain to keep your promise. By coming to Abram as El Shaddai, God is reminding Abraham, Abram, that He is a God of promises kept always. Abram and Sarai, now renamed Abraham and Sarai, is a constant reminder of uh, that that they will be the progenitors of a great nation. Is for is that is. That word there tells them that they will be have a, their promise kept by a son still not yet born. The reality of a kept promises is vital to understanding anything about God. It's only in the essence of promise that God reveals himself as a personable God. Without the essence of promise, God is just an impersonal creator. With the essence of promise, God becomes someone that we mere humans can relate to. Kept promises are part of God's character. The Bible can really be seen as a book telling us about broken promises of humans, but kept promises of God. Even the major divisions of the Bible, the Old Testament and the New Testament, are like the Old Promise and the New Promise. You know, Testament can mean promise as well, but to God, It's all the same promise. I will be your God. I am righteous and just, and I hate sin, but I love to show mercy. The old and new is really about how God then shows that mercy to his people. In the Old Promise, the Old Testament, it's through the sacrifice of animals that God shows mercy to His people. But that sacrifice is pointing to the new, better promise, the New Testament, where God sends His Son as Messiah, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And through that sacrifice, the whole world is blessed. The New Testament makes very clear that the real descendants of Abraham are those who have the faith of Abraham. Paul says in Galatians 3.29 that if you are Christ's, then you are Abram's offspring, heirs of the promise. One of the... One of the facts that, uh, that scripture like this remind us humans of is that life is grounded in promises. Both our faith but also our daily life is grounded in promises. History teaches us that as well. When people don't keep their promises Cracks begin to develop in the foundation of life, and society starts collapsing around us. Promises, contracts, pacts are necessary for society to function. Marriage vows, oaths of office, pledges of support, codes of conduct... Parental promises, product warranties, these and others' assurances are necessary for communal life. And God, God is the foundation of all promises. God kept his promise to Abram that one of his descendants will bless the world, and that obviously, is Jesus. That's why Matthew traces the genealogy of Jesus back to Abraham. 2,000 years ago, and God has not forgotten, nor does he renegotiate his promise. But at the right time, the Kairos time, God fulfilled his promise sending to us the promised one Jesus who will save his people from their sins we lament about our society today how promises are broken and society seems to be crumbling down we live in a culture where people ridicule and make fun of God's word flaunting it openly in sin in our world around us. And we within the church kind of despair at the dwindling numbers. But God, revealing Himself as El Shaddai like He does in our text today, reminds us that He is a God of promises made and promises kept. Even when we can't see a way forward. God, keeps his promises always as he did with Abraham. Think about it. When Abraham died, what of those promises had God kept for him? Just a small piece of the second promise that he would be the father of a great nation. One son, Isaac. Abraham believed, and it was fulfilled later on. God promised a descendant of his would bless the world, and that too was kept down the line. But that gives you and I hope hope for everyday life, even in a crumbling world. We know that God keeps his promise. And when God tells us that he will forgive our sins, that he will keep us in his grace and mercy and will ultimately take us home to victory in heaven, we can live every day in hope, knowing that just as God has kept all his promises in the past, he will keep that promise to us as well. God makes a way when we see no way